0: Well, the Mariners are back home. It's episode 46 of The Wheelhouse. Aaron Goldsmith and Jerry Depoto. And uh, Jerry, first of all, it's good to see you. It's been a long time, Jerry, since we've done this. Since the last homestand when the Angels were in town, a lot has happened. Uh, a lot of meat on a road trip to Chicago and Kansas City has been consumed. How are you?
1: That's a, I'm just trying to get over the meat. <laughs>
0: <laughs> trying
1: to sleep it off.
0: I understand. Well, we're glad to have you with us on The Wheelhouse. Remember, you can always subscribe uh, on iTunes, on Stitcher, wherever you find your podcasts, mariners.com slash podcast. Uh, Jerry, speaking of that road trip, and I do want to talk about the food, because those are two terrific food cities. A 6-1 and one on the road trip, Jerry. A four-game sweep is tough against anyone, anywhere. The Mariners did that at Kansas City. Well, your biggest takeaways from that road trip?
1: I couldn't have been happier with the way we were playing. and. The enthusiasm of the team, how connected, especially the offensive players have been in their prep, the meetings before the game, and and really the the rise of Daniel Vogelbach on that road trip was something to behold. It was uh, a long time in in coming and really enjoyable to watch. So I thought the starting pitching, like it has been most of the year, was, was solid. The offense was explosive, and the bullpen most nights was just enough.
0: So I was looking at the numbers on Daniel as recently as yesterday. Uh, Baseball Savant, which is a great website that gets real nerdy on all kinds of things, and one of the things they track is exit velocity, and you can sort the leaderboards very easily. Uh, he ranked in the top five in average exit velocity. He was around 95 miles an hour. I mean, he is just hitting the tar out of the ball, and you can't seem to sneak a fastball past him. Is there a difference in your mind between this year's Daniel Vogelback, in years past, or is it just the maturation of a player?
1: I think it's the latter. It's the maturation of a player, and, and I think it's, it's just confidence. You know, as, a, as players, and, and we talk about it in player development, we talk about it at the very outset of careers when we sign kids as teenagers or draft young guys out of college at 21, 22 years old. The goal is to somehow take them uh, uh, during their professional journey, to take them to the level of confidence that they had when they were playing in high school or when they were playing in college. And, and that they feel that level of, of confidence or dominance when they're out on a professional field. And, you know, for Vogie, getting over the, the big league hump was that last step. And, and I, it's been a pleasure to see. I think there's some benefit to him that he now knows he's out of options and can't go back to AAA without being exposed to waivers. He knows because I called him or we discussed it on the telephone in January that he was going to be on this club and, and that he needed to come into spring training and just do his thing. And, and I also think that the addition of Jay Bruce has been really positive influence for Vogue. It, it gives him a veteran player who maybe sees – uh, the game or an at bat through a similar lens to Vogie, but they're divergent personalities, and I think they mix very well despite the fact that that there are a few years in between their ages. They they're, they've been like uh, inseparable during the, the the first couple of weeks of the season, and I, and I think that's advantage Vogie.
0: You talked about his confidence, and there was a sequence, a couple of at-bats that he had in Kansas City after he had home run. And, of course, he had the six-ribby game, a couple of home runs in Chicago in one game, had two doubles in a game. And, Jerry, he is spitting on pitches that are, like, seams off of the strike zone. And he's spitting on these pitches like he's a 10-time All-Star and he knows instantaneously that's a ball. And it was, I have never quite remember seeing the confidence of a player by not swinging the bat, as I saw from Daniel Volgoback, and just back-to-back at-bats, seemingly a, a nothing at-bat over the grand landscape of the season. But it told me a lot about just where he is mentally and how locked in he is.
1: He doesn't throw at-bats away. And I think that type of mentality, that the, the taking the ball, that's just to see him off of the plate you know, one way or the other, it's starting to permeate up and down our lineup. Most of our hitters are doing it, and most of their at-bats, and that's why we're having the success that we're having is they're swinging at pitches that they can damage. And and Voguey's been right at the front of the conga line on that. That's it. He, he's having fun in his A-Bs. And I think the, the thing that, that I draw from from Voge is from his high school years. You know, playing down in South Florida as a high schooler, he did this. This is something he did as a high schooler. He did it through his minor league career. He did it extremely well over the course of the last three years at AAA. But this is truly the first time we've seen him, seen him carry it over big league at-bats consistently. It's, it's a joy to see. He knows he's going to do damage. And as soon as he gets into that 2-1, and 3-1 and one count, he is, he's licking his chops because he knows it's time to eat.
0: I imagine you have some praise for your manager, Scott Service, how he has been able to craft this lineup on a day-in and day-out basis, being able to work Bruce Vogelback and Encarnacion in at seemingly the exact right times.
1: Playing the right guy at the right time? I, I will I'll look back. We played the final game in Chicago uh, against the White Sox. And if you'll recall in that game, it was a little bit of a chilly day, and Tim Beckham goosed his hamstring. And uh, the trainer, Rob Nodine, came into Scott's office afterward, and he and I were sitting in his office chatting. And, uh, and Rob walked in and he said, hey, guys, I, I think Beck's going to need a day tomorrow. And uh, then I, I looked at Rob and I waved my hand. I said, Rob, don't worry. We'll just play Vogie at time. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, you know, Scotty has had a bit of a, of, of a magic touch. You know, the last three days have been tough facing Cy Young type guys in Verlander and Cole and Bauer. But prior to that, this offense is, was doing things really that no offense in history had done to start a season. And we were somehow balancing the ABs with guys who deserved to play every day in two cases, guys who have a history and an understanding that they'll play every day while trying to keep really the hottest hitter in our lineup and maybe one of the hottest hitters on the planet going and, and take advantage while it's hot and only having two positions to do it with. so. You know, Scott got creative. We talked about different ways that we might be able to get them in there. And it is important to make sure that each of them feels like they're, they're involved every day. And you know, I think between first base, DH, and even some of what we've done in the outfield, which was rotating off days for each of the three starting outfielders, to make sure that we could keep these bats going and, and get everybody in there and keep them fresh. Scott's done a remarkably good job.
0: Safe to say Mitch Hanniger is in midseason form at this point, wouldn't you say, Jerry?
1: He really is, and I, and and I will say this: that Mitch has had a tendency of putting together very good Aprils, and <laughs> the and the time since we've had him, his Aprils have been phenomenal. And right now, all Mitch is doing is putting together professional at bats, and you know you can see the frustration on his face the the, the last couple of days in Kansas City because he just wasn't in a good place, and then he got the the mm-hmm. big hit to beat Boxberger in the third game, and, and then he got what I thought was a. a about as timely a hit as we've seen in the time since we've been here in Seattle with Mitch, uh, the ball that he drove into the gap, which turned into a, a, an awesome play. You know, the ball that Billy Hamilton almost caught in the gap that turns into uh, – it, it, Mitch is doing things right now that Mitch does. And, you know, he's, he hits homers at opportune times. I don't think he really has his strike zone under control the way he does. Uh, his walk rate's a little low, his strikeout rate's a little high, but he's maintaining the same OPS, he's doing damage, and most importantly, Mitch seems to always be the guy that's standing in the batter's box when you have that big run to, to drive in. And I know the analysts will tell me that there is no such statistic as clutch hitting, but Mitch does it, and uh, he has a tendency to hit in the clutch and, and drive in those big runs, and you know, between he and Domingo Santana, we haven't left too many out there this year.
0: Not to digress too much, but why would somebody say there's no such thing as a clutch based hit? Are all are all at bats, Jerry, created equally? Are they all in a vacuum?
1: I guess so. You know, I, I, I don't believe that. I've been criticized before for, and I will I will say this that our analysts actually see the world through a slightly different lens, and and they do see the value in the competition and, and the player's ability to step up at, at at that kind of the the crunch time in a game. And in, in Mitch's case, he's done that since he's been with the Mariners. I, I have been criticized in the past, past for mentioning that because it is deemed that all bats are created equal. And I said, ah, there's, I, have, I don't think that's true. I don't think every inning is created equal. The three outs in the ninth inning emotionally feel different than three outs in the sixth inning. And while the three outs in the eighth may be the most important of that trio – the ninth always feels a little bit different and uh, and it's not for everybody and sometimes hitting in the clutch isn't for everybody but it is, Mitch Haniger has proven that it is in fact for him.
0: I was so disappointed that Mitch did not homer in the opening game of the series against the Indians because I wanted to see a mortal homer off of Verlander, Cole and Bauer in three consecutive days That would be one of the great feats uh, we've seen in a long, long time because, of course, he took the first two guys in that line deep. And it did make us think, and we looked up the numbers a little bit, Jerry, and I'm curious because you were an executive when Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer were in the draft. I mean, Jerry, Bauer's numbers at UCLA were just insane. I mean— notably better than Garrett Cole, who was taken number one overall.
1: Oh, phenomenal. I, I, was, I was actually the, the vice president of scouting and player development with the Diamondbacks when we drafted Trevor. And uh, I saw both pitch six times that year as, as juniors at UCLA. And you know, Trevor was, they were both young juniors, but Trevor was the Golden Spikes award winner. It was perhaps the, the greatest single season in the history of college pitching. What he was doing as a as a collegiate, and he was throwing 130, 140 pitches a night, at, at, which was crazy. And, and as good as stuff as Garrett Cole has, Garrett would pitch on, on Friday night, and we would usually see a nip and tuck game because he's always facing somebody else's ace, and it's you know it's it's five to four, four to three, and then come out on Saturday, and it would be a strikeout fest, and you're waiting to see if he's going to throw a, a shutout. And it it was very entertaining. Uh, I got to know Trevor. During that period of time, spent a lot of time with he with his with his family, and uh, I. While we had very high hopes when we drafted him, this is the the ceiling that we would have anticipated. Is that you've got a guy who can compete for a Cy Young year in and year out. He's quirky. He knows how to pitch. He has awesome stuff, and and every year he gets a little bit smarter in how he uses it.
0: This is just kind of the ebbs and the flows of a season, isn't it? When you run up against three aces, three guys who will be in the Cy Young conversation, uh, seemingly each and every year, Uh, this is a, a tough time to be a big league hitter when your team is facing guys like that in succession. And then you have uh, the rest of this Indian starting pitching staff as well.
1: Yeah, the, the reprieve is now we get to go face Shane Beaver, who's rolling about a 1-8 ERA right. and, and has been magnificent since they brought him to the big leagues last year. So uh, there's a reason why the Indians have won the, the Central Division multiple years in a row. There's a reason why the Astros are a year removed from a, a world's championship and they're projected to win 100 games. 100-game 100 projection, that's, a, that's hard to do. So they're doing it. It's it's not just the, the starting pitching. It's it's every guy that runs out of the Houston bullpen is impressive, and and you know the Astro. I mean the the Indians have their fair share as well. So you know we, I think we've done a phenomenal job, despite the fact that we have you know piled up some strikeouts and our run scoring slowed down these past few days. We we have really pushed these pitchers and we're we're stressing them. I think 106 pitches for Verlander on Saturday you know, really push these guys. Now, I, I mean, I say that and the, the lines look dominant. They're having great days against us, but we're really making them work in a different way than our lineup has ever made them work before. And that to me is encouraging.
0: Domingo Santana. I, I don't, I'm curious, Jerry, when, when you acquired Domingo Santana, he was, of course, removed, a year removed from a 30 home run campaign, did not contribute the following year because of Yelich and Kane in Milwaukee. So you know that what he did was real. You know that it was in there. But it was a little while ago. Uh, did you see this coming from Domingo? This ability to use the whole field, the opposite field, so well. Drive and runs. I mean, he has been one of the main and major contributors in this Mariners lineup.
1: Of course we so. <laughs> 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 There's a, yeah, I mean, we, we thought Domingo, you know, when, when we were kind of looking at the 2019 season and beyond. I and mean, we've talked about it before. We had gone out and we had identified high-talent players who happened to fit in an age window that we thought we could build around as a, as a core so that we didn't have to go down to the bottom floor in rebuilding our roster, that we could start with players who were entering the prime years of their career. And And two years ago, as a 24-year-old, Domingo Santana had a three, three-and-a-half win season, depending on which you know, domain you're looking at, to, to pull your, your war statistic from, but he was that guy—a 30 homer, 15 stolen base season—and you know, right now, last night's game when when he he came up, and I, I have to say, like the the two balls, first the the, the rocket that he hit back through the box at, at Bauer was scary, and uh, you know, to to the naked view, it didn't look like he got glove, but it did get glove. I gave Bauer an error on that,
0: by the way. Yeah, I it you don't make that play? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: there's. But not just that, but the cutter that he took to right field. And, you know, it, it, it brought me to the way back machine. I, I opened up the, the baseball reference and started pedaling through. Like, who drives in this many runs it, it, over the course of the first two weeks, three weeks of the season? You know, and, I, and I was remembering back to 1998. Do you remember, like, the absurd pace that Juan Gonzalez – and I, I was playing at the time. And, and Juan Gonzalez was on this absurd RBI pace – And I looked last night to see where in relation Domingo was. And last night was our 18th game. And Domingo finished the the night with 24 RBI on the season, I believe. And uh, 24 through 18 games. In 1998, through 24 games, which accounted for the month of April, through 24 games, Juan Gonzalez had 36 runs batted in, which I, I thought was phenomenal, and and I thought Domingo, you got a long way to go. <laughs> but he's are you uh, doing stump JD before I get to stump JD? Is that what this is? I was just scratching my own head. <laughs> uh, I think in this in this one, I, I really couldn't be happier for Domingo's success. In addition to being a really talented player, he is a terrific guy. He's a, he's so easy to spend time around. I think very popular in the clubhouse and among the staff. You know, there, there are certain things we need to clean up. You know, we got to get a little bit more consistent in left field. To his credit or in his defense, he has not played left field very much. And, you know, the angles of the ball do change. You know, he spent most of his career either in right or in center. And, you know, the left field is a particularly difficult transition for guys who are always on the other side because of the way the ball comes off the bat. And, you know, I do think that given time and exposure to the position, that he's going to be a, a perfectly good left fielder, if not above average, because he's a really good athlete. But we've seen some turbulence out there, and fortunately he's given back a lot more in, uh, in the batter's box, that's for
0: sure. By the way, have you have you heard, not seen, have you heard the Mingo's car? I have not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm putting my luggage in the trunk after we get back from the last road trip, and somebody started up a B-2 Stealth Bomber in the garage. It I mean, it is on pure rocket fuel. Like fast and furious? Like just, like I think my ears ringing my whole ride home. It's impressive. I mean, it's a big league car. There's, I'm, I'm going to have to get out early and see it. I have guess. your earmuffs ready. Yeah. It's impressive. I really
1: don't want to hear him started. I just want to see where it's coming from. Because you know? <laughs> it, perhaps it's that, you know, you, sometimes you get the you know the booming voice that comes from the most unexpected place. The, I understand. The, 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 the Domingo, maybe Domingo's driving a Yugo and it just happens to have <laughs> a, you know, that's a booming engine. I think
0: the, the look of the car backs up the sound of the car. Let's yeah. put it that way. It's, a, it's an even match. Uh, the bullpen, we saw a rocky inning from the bullpen in game one against the Indians. Uh, We've seen really good performance from the bullpen in games prior against the Astros. I uh, mean, This is a situation where guys are getting opportunity, right? And we have seen some really impressive performances, not only in single games, but over the course of the season. Brandon Brennan certainly comes to mind. Uh, you have some new faces in that bullpen. What do you overall make of where your bullpen is now and kind of the guys that you have seen uh, through roughly 20 games?
1: Well, you know, we are providing opportunity for pitchers who have lesser experience either in leverage roles or in the big leagues. And right now, down in our bullpen, I think between Brandon Brennan, uh, Connor Sadzik, R.J. Allenese, uh, Sean Armstrong, minimally those four, not one of those guys has more than a year of major league service. And, and in some cases, they're making their major league debuts. I think two of those guys made their major league debuts this year. So we're giving opportunity. We understand that you're going to run into bumps in the road. And that's where we did last night. I think Brennan has been unbelievable, uh, truly, from the, the first outing in Tokyo. And uh, what I thought was a, a hilarious moment, if you get back and, and have a chance to watch the, the video footage of his outing versus Oakland in the Tokyo Dome, it was, it was uh, colorful <laughs> in, in, in the way it finished. And he is a terrific fastball changeup combination, really showing a lot of I guess, character, maturity in the, in, on the mound when he's out there, which frankly, on the first day of spring training, we couldn't have bet on. We didn't know that about him. And he's, he's showing that he has that. He's going to hit his bumps in the road, too. But I think he's been great. Connor Sadzik, from the day we picked him up, he was nothing but good. and And last night, obviously, hit a bump in the road uh my first observation was connor's a little tough on himself he's uh he was tough on himself last night on the mound and there's we expect a bump in the road from time to time but we we love his size we love his physical stuff and 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 frankly we've loved his performance it's uh he's been terrific rj allenies we didn't get to see a lot of in in spring training but he's another guy who has a mid-90s arm with a with a really good slider I thought the first inning of his major league debut on Friday night is 28 years old, spent a decade in the minor leagues and, and got an opportunity. It was one of those moments where uh, when you've been in the game a long time, you really want to go out and just give somebody a hug. Like that's, that is a, that's a special thing for any player, but it's particularly special for a guy who signed out of high school, has been cutting it up in the minor leagues for a decade and finally got an opportunity. And I thought his first inning was awesome. And the second inning, it looked like he just ran out of gas. And he didn't throw too many pitches. I thought it was just running on emotion. So sometimes you can run out of gas because the physical exertion is too much. And sometimes it's more the emotional exertion. And I thought sitting down and then going back out, the emotional exertion might have got him. Uh, you know, Sean, we're still waiting to see what Sean is. He had, a, he had a 10 good innings for us at the tail end of last year. We saw really good things in spring training from time to time, and for Sean, it's a matter of putting together some consistency, uh, especially with the strike throwing, and that's what failed all three guys last night. and And we have to we have to take that with it. And I say all three, you know, Zach Roscapp contributed as well, but uh, we are going to run into days like that as we sort through who's in our bullpen. But our hope is that as the season goes along, we start to see that group come together. And not just for two thousand and nineteen, but that we start picking up some long term bullpen assets that 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 play a part for us in the years out ahead, and we feel like all these guys are are young enough to do that
0: to get back to Brennan for a second because he has been so spectacular, part of what I feel like may has made him so great and s- is his uniqueness when do we see fastball changeup anymore from a right-handed reliever this is like very Fernando Rodney-ish I mean can you think of uh, is there another reliever that is in the game right now that has that is Brandon Brennan I don't think
1: so you know they, at least not like it because it's not a straight fastball either and oftentimes when you get and I'll, I'll bring up Keith Folk if you remember Keith Folk back in the day you know a lot of times when you see a fastball changeup Right-hander, it's a straight fastball and a changeup that falls off of the straight fastball. Brandon, Brendan's fastball is not straight. I mean, it is. He's throwing these snakes up there at 95 miles an hour, and the changeup sometimes looks like a slider. His changeup will go. You know, sometimes it turns left and sometimes it turns right, and sometimes it just bites straight down. Now, is he
0: purposely manipulating these shapes? I think so.
1: You know, you can. It's. It's. You can direct the movement just with which finger you put the most pressure on. And, you know, his change-up development is is a pretty new thing for him over the course of the last, let's call it, year or so. Uh, Started it with Chicago. It's really kind of come to the, I guess, bubbled to the top this year and uh, how good the pitch was in the early days of spring training and certainly what we've seen here since. It's unique, and and I think that's why you're seeing so many – Uh, Awkward swings. You're seeing good hitters swinging through that changeup like nobody's business. They're not able to identify what it is yet, and uh, I think that gives, particularly because of his his the makeup that he's shown, uh, the fortitude on the mound. It gives him an advantage in the early going where he can really establish first that level of confidence, but and also the question or the mystery as to what he's doing because. I, I guarantee you, there's there's people out there that are still trying to figure out: is that a breaking ball? Is a changeup? Because it moves in different ways each time.
0: Really good stuff so far from Felix. Uh, what have you made of his outing so far this year? His ability—we saw a quality start against a really good opponent. Uh, his command has been there by and large this year. What have you made of Felix?
1: I think Felix has looked terrific. You know, the one inning outing in Kansas City aside when he was ill, the the two full game starts that he's had. He has been engaged. I feel like he's been using all of his pitches. He's mixing well. He's trying new things. And, you know, for the last three years, we've often urged Felix to try new things. And, and uh, this year, he seems to be embracing a different way of doing it. And uh, I really couldn't be happier for him because he looks happy. He looks more engaged. I think he's having fun with this team in a way that maybe he hasn't had fun in a couple of years. And and he's learning the, the ways in which his stuff works, and, and he's attacking the strike zone. The biggest thing with Felix over the last couple of years has often been, if he does get ahead, he spends a lot of his time trying to put guys away, and the next thing you know, a 1-2 count turns into a 3-2 count, and then we have a sloppy walk. Uh, or in 2019, he's getting after him, and he's trying to put him away quickly. And. As a result, I think his strikeout rate is similar to or, or on par with what it's been in the last handful of years, if not a tick ahead. And, and his walk rate is, is more than manageable. It's way down. And he's doing the right things. He's just getting after guys, you know, one, two, three, let's go.
0: We saw a, a brilliant performance from Marco a couple of starts ago here at home when he was able to pitch into the ninth inning. Uh, what have you made of your opening day starter so far this year?
1: consistent. You know, Marco's been consistent. He's in many ways in in today's game, Marco's a bit of a throwback. You know, he's he's not going to go out there and overpower you with fastball velocity. It is pitch mix, it is guile, it is location and uh, it's preparation. He's he's prepared every day. And uh, he's prepared physically, he's pre- prepared emotionally. I I did an interview yesterday with a writer who had just come from interviewing Marco and and he said, "Man, let me tell you, that guy's really well put together, you know, as, as, a, as a person. And I said, there's no kidding. He said, I get the sense that he could do anything he wants. And I, and I said, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you're right. So I should probably be pretty good at my job <laughs> or try to be because my guess is he could do this too. You know, Marco is, he's prepared. He's been super consistent. Uh, love the way he's using, he's really using his secondary pitches quite heavily but I really like the way he's using the total strike zone. He's moving to all the quadrants. He's, he's elevating it at the appropriate times. He's going in when it matters. Usually when he goes in, it's in with a purpose, uh, and it's not just in for show. He's getting in there, and, and he's trying to get outs when he goes in. So uh, Marco is is learning who and what he can be as a pitcher, and, and it's fun to watch.
0: Tough news on Wade LeBlanc. He will be sidelined for some time with the lat injury. Can you give us any updates, timetable, that type of thing for Wade?
1: Tougher news for Marco.
0: Yeah, you're very right. That's absolutely right. I I think I saw a tear the other day. I think they share
1: organs. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I can confirm that. They they, they have fun. Um, uh, Wade, Wade... Dating back to when he entered our rotation toward the end of April last year, uh, when he when he really, I think, took his first shot, it has been super consistent. And he, he does it in similar ways. You know, it's the touch and the feel and the cutter and the changeup and the guile. And, and he's navigated his way through a couple of really tough lineups <laughs> in the early going this year. And I, I think our pitching staff doesn't get enough credit for what it's done in the last three weeks, and Wade is among them. It's, you know, as a left-hand pitcher to go out there against the Red Sox lineup, to go out there against the the Astros lineup, neither one of which is short on intimidating right-hand hitters, and, and give us chances to win those games. In one case, having won it, and, and in the other, having given us every opportunity, that's what Wade does. He's, you know, the, the, the commercial, the advertisement, crafty lefty, there is no better, you know, ad. That, that is Wade LeBlanc, and he's He's as wise as his years, you know, Wade's 34 now, or pitching his 34-year-old season this year. And you know, he has learned so much, not just in what he's done at the major league level uh, over the course of uh, what is closing in on six years of service, but a decade of, sure. of, of years at this level. And But what he did over in Asia and, and some of the experiences he brought back from there, particularly how to incorporate or refine that cutter. So... We'll miss him. Uh, I think we'll miss him in more ways than just what he does in the innings because I, Wade Wade, and Marco, Mike Leek, you know, these guys talk pitching. And there is really there, – there isn't a value you can put on that, especially as we start to incorporate starting tomorrow Eric Swanson into our rotation. What we expect is to shortly see Justice Sheffield. and and get these guys out there, having guys like Wade and and the group around talking about pitching is really helpful to developing those guys as well.
0: So Scott did make the announcement that we'll be seeing Swanson in the final game of the homestand against the Indians uh, mid-afternoon start time here at T-Mobile Park. We saw him make his debut in Kansas City in relief. I was really struck, Jerry, by the fact that Now, he did hit at least 96, maybe 97, but definitely 96 with the fastball. But he also had fastballs sitting more 92, 93. And yet, even when he threw in the lower 90s, we saw swings and misses like they were 96, 97, 98. Why is that?
1: Well, this when we acquired, Eric. The the most appealing trait about Eric Swanson was his fastball usability. You know, what we define in, in our scouting vernacular is fastball quality. Uh, you know, his fastball quality jumps off the page. And it's, it's mostly ride. He gets, a, he gets an incredible amount of ride on his fastball. And Eric's not a small guy. You know, he's 6'3", 6'4". He can throw the ball downhill at 91, 94 and just and paint on the, the outer edge and then elevate that fastball. And when he starts to elevate, that 94 or 96 that he can throw up there really is, is it's an overpowering weapon. You know he has been as high as 98 miles an hour. It's it's uh, commonly he's going to work in that 92-94 range. And when he gets up at the top of the zone and he's sitting on 94, which he's very capable of doing, it, it runs through a lot of bats. And he's really come a long way in the development of his slider and his changeup since the start of last year in the Yankees organization. But even with his changeup since he's joined us uh, from the start of spring training to today, the improvements he's made are awesome. And I and said this maybe publicly, but if not, here we go. I, I think Eric Swanson at 25 years old and having pitched two innings in his major league career probably knows himself and his skill set as well as any pitcher we have. He, he knows what he does. He knows how he gets his outs. He seems confident in attacking the, the strike zone where he pitches. Usually it takes a long time to urge young pitchers to elevate in and above the strike zone the way that Eric does, and and feel confident in doing it because when you do that, occasionally you're going to give up a, a long one. And uh, Eric seems to have embraced that. Uh, it's an adjustment that the Yankees made with him a couple of years back, and we're getting we're getting the benefit of that now. And you know our our scouts and our analysts did a really nice job of identifying a skill set that fit for us. And Paul Davis, our pitching coach, who is Particularly fond of guys who can pitch vertically. Uh, when we were leaving Kansas City, it's about as perked up as, as I've seen Paul all season long because we found a guy who fit Perky in, in, Paul. Perky Paul, who, <laughs> who who found a guy who fit the niche that he's that he's looking for, is it? In in an era where the game is played vertically, you know, and and the generation that that I played or you know in the 90s, uh, even five, eight, ten years ago. The, the game the, over the plate was played horizontally, where you, if you remember watching the, the great Braves teams with Clavin and Maddox and Smoltz, when they're, when they're pitching, everything's happening in and out, in and out. And they're getting balls that are that far off the plate for strikes, and there's, they're making almost unhittable pitches. And if they threw a ball above the waistline, it's just a mistake. And now the game is being played vertically. And, you know, it's n- never more so apparent than watching the last three starting pitchers. Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, and Trevor Bauer may be the, the three best pitchers in baseball right now at, at playing vertical baseball over the plate. And you know Eric Swanson has that capability or style, and we, ha- we don't have a lot of guys like that. So it's, it's fun to, to tap into.
0: So then to dive a little deeper into that transition, is it just simply because of velocity?
1: I don't think it's just because of velocity. It's the, each, each fastball has qualities unique to that pitch. And... You know, and in Eric's case, he has a a spin, a ride at the top of the zone. That's what, and I'm going to give the Houston Astros a ton of credit at the, you know, what the Astros, Jeff Lunau's group, their analysts, uh, you know, what they've done over the course of the years in Houston is go out and identify guys like Garrett Cole, like Jeff, well, It's fairly easy to identify. Justin Verlander (laughs) He's Uh, good. I got a tip, guys. (laughs) Like Ryan Presley. Yeah, I heard this guy. There's a way we can make this Hall of Famer, uh, you know, an inner circle Hall of Famer. Uh, Ryan Presley, uh, just uh, to name a few. Will Harris, who was a waiver claim. Colin McHugh, another who was a waiver claim. They do a wonderful job of identifying by using track man data, by identifying guys who have extraordinary spin on their fastball and the ability to elevate, even if they're not yet elevating it and then bring them in house. And all right, this is what we want you to do is start pitching up the shoot. And, you know, to the point now where when you play the Astros, you really have to start preparing in a different way because you're not going out to hit in the normal strike zone that you hit in any other day. It's, It is particularly difficult to hit 98 miles an hour. It's even harder to hit 98 miles an hour when it's at the top of the strike zone. It feels like 105, and you know it's a, it's, it's, and when you get the kind of extension that guys like Verlander and Cole get, ah, it just makes it all the more difficult. So, uh, we, like the rest of the league, place some value on that, to a lot of value, and we have tried to go out and find guys like that ourselves, and in some cases we've been successful. And we're going to see more and more of them throughout baseball because I really do think that that is the new norm, is that the strike zone uh, is being played up and down rather than side to side. It's something that our pitching coach, Paul Davis, stresses and has since the day he arrived. And if you're not able to take advantage of that up and down strike zone, you're probably not going to last quite as long in this league.
0: We heard Scott Service say prior to Game 1 against the Indians when Kikuchi was on the mound, we heard him hope that Kikuchi would get off to a quicker start than he had in years past, or years past, in games past. And in some ways, it felt like that was going to happen. He retired the first two batters, got two strikes on the third batter, a couple of base hits, and then a couple of runs come in. Is there anything that you, Scott, Paul, have seen, uh, talked about as to why this is happening? It hasn't been uh, colossal uh, for Kikuchi, but it hasn't been the groove that we see him get into after, say, the third or fourth inning.
1: The, once you get through the lineup once, or the third, let's call it the third inning through the end of his outings, which at this point have usually been about six innings, uh, there's, the last three innings he throws are excellent. And, and he's putting all of his pitches together, and he's clicking on all cylinders and for whatever reason he's run into let's in my mind he's run into babbitt block in the first couple of innings and and he starts to press a little bit is it's uh you know here we are we've played three weeks he's made five starts and he hadn't won a game yet uh though we spit the bit on a couple of games that he exited with a lead there's he hadn't recorded a win in the column yet and i i know there's there's no one in our clubhouse is any more thoughtful than you say. He, he just is. It's a, he's a great guy, very uh, team-oriented. He wants to contribute and help. And it, you can't help when you come over, you're a free agent, it's a, you're, you're coming from a, a different country, introducing yourself to a new league. Now, uh, You'd like to register your first win, just see so around the board, and everybody's going to press. And last night, when he got the two quick outs, and then he goes 0-2. If you recall, it was a shift beater single through the shortstop hole when the when the the infield was overshifted to to the right, and the, you know the next one I'll call it a Babbit luck ball. It's just the way it goes and you know you in there you mix in a it's something the eight or nine pitch walk to to carlos santana which is he's not the first guy that's ever thrown that many pitches and walked to carlos santana uh it turned into a long first inning but his stuff was very good it was the highest velocity we'd seen from U.S.A. uh in the first inning. he was up to 96 in the first inning uh, He was he was very comfortably sitting 93 and 94 and and I did think he started to flash the good the good break on his slider at an earlier juncture in the game. So I I think he's doing the right things. It's just a matter of of uh, the planets lining up with his preparation because the stuff is there, the execution has generally been there. I just hope he doesn't get too frustrated worrying about a a, a win in a column because what we're seeing is good stuff. We're seeing location. And and I think now, especially with the slider, we're starting to see some consistency and some bat missing with it. And, you know, that was missing early on for you, say, as he was trying to get the feel for the ball. Uh, I feel like he's starting to get that or or got that now. And we're starting to see that slider miss the bats like we expected that it would. We're starting to see the velocity creep up as the weather gets a little bit warmer or his his inning total starts to grow a little bit. Uh, We're very happy where he is. Probably going to give him one more full start and then try our first pullback with him and, and pull him back to, to one inning and, and try to manage the innings here for a bit. But I really couldn't be happier with the way he's throwing the ball. It's, it, it's unfortunate that it hasn't resulted in him getting a win. And my guess is, like we talked about with Vogie, getting comfortable at this level, he's eventually going to get there. I hope it's in his next start. If it's not, it's not because we, we, we're, he's not doing the right things.
0: Well, Jerry, let's go down to the farm for a few minutes. Uh, Justice Sheffield has uh, a couple of starts under his belt with the Rainiers. I know his first start, uh, the command, looked like it was a real issue for Justice. Uh, he had the fantastic spring. What have you made so far very early on for Justice in AAA?
1: And the command was also an issue in his second start. You know, it's, Justice had a phenomenal spring training, very disappointed at, the, at being sent back to Tacoma, and justifiably so but handle it like a pro. And we told him at that time that when we got to the point and we were pulling Yusei's innings back, that we would bring him back up and he would slide in and back of Yusei. My hope is that that he slides in and back of him and never goes back to the minor leagues. But that that may or may not happen this time through. He's been battling himself, uh, I think trying to do too much. He is, uh, by most measures, considered our best prospect. He went out with a lot to prove. He's the guy that came in in a very high profile trade, had a dynamic spring training and then got sent to AAA. So I, I think he's he's trying to prove to people in an, in an outing or in a start that he deserves to be in Seattle or that he was worth the price that we paid to, to acquire him. And that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. It's. My, my hope is that his next start is tomorrow in, in El Paso. I hope he goes out there and has fun. Just go out there and do the things that you do. His stuff is plenty good enough. You know, he's been battling himself. He's been pitching in bad counts. And, and as a result, he's, he's made life a little more difficult on himself. But you know, we, we spent some time and we had some resource down there for him on Sunday. And hopefully we got him back on track. And we expect to see him here in the big leagues in the, in the weeks ahead.
0: What in the world is going on with LJ Newsome? Uh, He's in uh, the worst league to pitch in, like, in the universe. Um, I don't know. Is, which is worse, PCL or Cal League?
1: It depends on what time of year and okay. what ballpark. But, you know, the, the, the Cal League in the heat of the summer, there is no safe place. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh,
1: you know, the PCL has a couple of safe havens. You know, okay. Tacoma's not an unfair place to pitch. Sacramento is generally pretty fair. Uh, there's, you don't want to be in Albuquerque when in July. But uh, LJ has been doing phenomenal things in, in Modesto. And, and to, to LJ's credit, you know, he, he's drafted as a 17-year-old high schooler. He's been in the system a couple of years. Two years ago, while pitching for Everett, had a phenomenal year for us, made the the, the all-star team in the Northwest League. And and uh, LJ was never a hard thrower. He was 85 to 90, mostly going to work at 87, 88 with his fastball. Really good command. If, if you'll recall, he was uh, last year's entrant in the minor league uh sixty foot six inch competition and got a, an invitation to major league spring training because he was a, an awesome strike thrower and uh, he went to Modesto last year was not overwhelming with stuff, but continued to throw strikes and then this this past off season he he was one of the many pitchers in our system or a handful of pitchers in our system that joined our gas camp, which was uh, a velocity training camp that that uh, we put together at the PD level. And he spent his month of January going through various, uh, I guess, delivery changes and training styles that might, uh, in some cases, will, will help develop greater velocity. LJ entered 85 to 90 with about an 88 mile an hour average. And he left with a fastball that is now touching ninety-four, and his and his seasonal average so far this year is ninety-two. And uh, there's been a, a real change in stuff for LJ, and he's still throwing strikes. I think he's got sixteen innings pitched to this point with thirty punchouts and two walks. That's doing it. I, I mean, <laughs> I don't I don't care where you're pitching, but especially if you're pitching in the Cali League as a twenty-two-year-old, that's doing it.
0: Can you? We will, we have to dedicate time in a future wheelhouse to the gas camp but can you just give us like a little morsel of what it was
1: sure you know i did, we have uh, we went through a uh, a variety of camps this year like uh, we'll call it self-improvement camps for players uh we had a swing change camp uh, identified six or eight of our minor league hitters who we thought would really benefit from from being in a swing camp did the same thing with pitchers and you know, there's there is a weighted ball routine, uh, which is coupled with a long toss program, and and then working in the, the strength center, the gym, with our strength and conditioning group in the effort to try to create more force from the ground up. So combine those three things and, and then teach your body how to move down the, the slope of the mound quickly. So... Take guys who don't ordinarily move down the mound quickly and get them moving. Uh, so that's the it's it's phenomenal to watch. I, I went and watched a couple of the gas camp workouts down in Peoria, and you know we had LJ, we had Reggie McLean, we had Nick Wells. There were a number of guys in our in our group who got up on the mound and they would stand on the mound and then just take a running charge from the mound toward a screen, and they're throwing balls of various weight into a net, and by the time they're finished, they are fully lathered up. They're throwing these balls anywhere from let's call it 92 on a, with a regular baseball to 102 with a with a, a ball that's four ounces, and uh, the, the the goal was to increase arm speed, increase body speed down the hill and, and, and hopefully translate when you pick up the normal baseball. And, and, uh, and it did in almost each case. LJ is bumping 94, sitting around 92. Reggie McLean, who was at that camp, has been up to 96 miles an hour. And, and, uh, and Reggie's another one who was about an 88, 89 mile an hour average prior to this year. And you know we shortened up his role, put him in a bullpen, and, and let it hang out. And it's working. Similarly, Nick Wells, who's always had a pretty good fastball, is, is also throwing a tick harder than he was in years past. So, you know, Max and, and, and our, our pitching guys, our pitching strategists, you know, uh, Trent Blake uh, particularly, um, Forrest Herman, they, they've done a great job in developing these programs. And, you know, Carson Vitale, Andy McKay, and our PD people have been nothing but creative in incorporating them. Hopefully it, it continues to, to prove to, a good move for a lot of these guys.
0: Looks like the organization dodged a bullet on Julio Rodriguez. Is that right? Yeah, Julio, he's
1: okay. He got hit in the hand. Um, probably not the only time. It's, we had one horrific night. I think we got Julio hit in the hand. We lost four players in, in roughly an inning in Arkansas due to lower extremity you know, injuries or issues, none of which are significant, thank goodness. But uh, Julio was good the next day. Uh, should be back in there today. Um, we've we've seen most of what we would consider to be or what the you know the, the free world considers to be our better prospects have gotten off to really good starts Julio among them and I'll tell you what he's nothing if not entertaining he's pulled back a homer he's hit one he's he's 18 years old in a really difficult league to make a transition to for an 18 year old kid from the Dominican to, to be hitting in April in Charleston, West Virginia, is uh, no easy task. It's, a, it's cold. Uh, it's, it's by far the coldest weather that Julio's ever played in. Uh, he's off to a tremendous start. Jared Kelinek, after a slow start, has really started to heat up these last three or four days. Logan Gilbert is off to a dynamic start and doing really good things. Justin Dunn, off to a terrific start in Arkansas. I, uh, Evan White got off to a good start. He was one of the guys that went down with a lower body uh, issue. He'll spend a, a seven-day stretch on the DL, but we expect he'll be back quickly. Jake Fraley off to a tremendous start. Really fast start for Kyle Lewis. He's cooled down considerably since, and, and hopefully we can get him back on track. Terrific start for J.P. Crawford. Awesome start for Shed Long. A lot of the, the, the guys who came in with some prospect You know, cred have really lit it up early, and it's been fun to see.
0: Before I destroy you and Stump J.D., the best meal that you ate on the Kansas City-Chicago road swing was?
1: Was I had a, a, like a cacio pepe that was made table side in a cheese wheel. (laughs) Which, I have to say, thrilled me. It made me want to go buy a cheese wheel.
0: Uh, every every kitchen should have one. This is right.
1: I actually said to the, to the waiter who was, who was making it tableside. he's telling me what he's doing. I said, you're going to have to instruct me what you're doing. Uh, he's, you know, step by step, he's telling me what he's doing, what he's adding. And then and then he sets the, the pasta aflame in the cheese wheel, and the cheese starts melting uh, around the wheel, coats the, the pasta, and then it is, bam, in the bowl in front of me. Quickly and
0: uh, and I, I does the pasta uh, unignite itself?
1: Oh yeah, it just it absorbs the cheese and the cheese you know dulls the flame. It's a
0: uh, it is it's a classic scientific method. It was
1: uh, it was tremendous. Just a couple of blocks from the, from the Chicago hotel I in Chicago. It. Yeah, Osterio la Pizzola. I think it was a uh, it was it was tremendous. Uh, that was the best meal I ate on the road.
0: I would hope so. Yeah, it was <laughs> off the charts. Good. That's fantastic. Okay, well, I'll remember that for next year in Chicago. And well, the
1: accompanying I'm, wine.
0: Wait. When I say, "Hey Jerry," uh, the name of that place where they set your pasta on fire, you'll remember, right?
1: Of course I so. will. Well, I actually have it in my phone. But okay, uh perfect. Yeah, we had uh, that was that was the best meal I had. I'm sure that you've got something you need to share.
0: Uh, I did eat uh, well. I mean, in Chicago, I did enjoy some steak, obviously. <laughs> Uh, Blow and Gary and I You know it's funny I, a Gibson's is kind of like I don't, th- I don't think Gibson's is Like the best steak in the American League In fact I don't even put Gibson's in my top three But I just love Gibson's And I love how I feel when I'm in Gibson's And it's just I'm in Chicago feel I feel Chicago. so like This is what I always say to Gary and I always say I, I judge restaurants Based on Do all the stresses in the world go away Once I sit down right? So obviously it can't be someplace I take my children. Uh, and Gibson's <laughs> is like one of those places, but as you know, Hugo's Frog Bar is attached to it and it's the same ownership group. There are sister restaurants and it's Hugo's is the exact same restaurant as Gibson's. It just has more tables. They serve more seafood if you want Chicago seafood. And... Uh, you can always get in. You don't need a reservation where you're basically out of luck. If you go to Gibson's, you don't have a reservation, especially on a on a Friday or a Saturday. So we went to Hugo's uh, a couple of times because, again, I like how I feel when I'm there. And I punted. I realized there's so many places in Chicago. I'll own that all day long. But I just, Jerry, I feel amazing when I sit down. The waiters have the starched white button-down jackets. They look like they should be Chicago steakhouse waiters. They bring the platter of the meat. I know what I want already, but I still like to see it. I like the show. It's a wonderful place.
1: you feel like Capone's going to walk a, in with a yes, baseball bat?
0: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, I do. Uh, and in Kansas City, I always get to a few different barbecue places, um, but I spent a lot of my young years in Kansas City, and uh, Gates is where I went all the time as a That's kid. As did
1: I. I lived in Kansas
0: City for seven years. For seven, seven years, yeah, really? Yeah. At what, what point in your life?
1: I uh, lived there. It was where I bought my first house. Two of my kids were born there. Oh we gosh. lived there from, 19- well, my parents moved there when I was in college. Okay. And uh, my wife and I bought our first house there in 1995. And we lived there 95 and 6. And then we went back again uh, after I went to work uh, post-career. Okay. Because we had to move from Colorado. It was, it was a lot easier to scout without the elements of... Of uh, no gravity baseball.
0: <laughs> so we went to, we did Gates back-to-back nights post-game and got ribs both times. And it's just, you know, they have tr- they have trays, like like cafeteria trays, right? And has and they're old. I mean, they're like from the 80s. And they have the Gates logo on it with the Gates logo guy with the tux and the top hat and a, a jar of Gates sauce on it. And I remember a couple years ago when I went in there at like midnight, I said to the lady who always said, may I help you? I said, Kent, I'd like to buy one of these trays. How, how much for the tray? She said, they're not for sale. I said, I'll give, you, I'll give you $25 for the tray. She said, they're not for sale. I said, I'll give you $50 for this tray right now in cash, $50. Sir, so they're not for sale. And I was unwilling to go any higher.
1: That's commitment.
0: I, I mean, to me, it would have been a great part of my childhood and great baseball food memories if I could have a Gates tray. Uh, but they weren't budgeting. I should try every year on a new... Employee to see if I get a weak one.
1: I think you can get it done. Fifty dollars. <laughs> Fifty dollars tray?
0: The trays are great. I know that's people are true. like, "You're ridiculous," and it would be stupid, but it would mean a lot to me.
1: D- did you ever consider just stealing?
0: You know, I have thought about that every time, but that's not how I want to get. How you're going that's, now. that's not how I want to get fired. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, there has to be some way better than that. Um, but we got ribs uh, both nights, and I, I told the story on the telecast in Kansas City. I uh, it was blow at myself and uh, Gary went in post game one night and Blow said he said what, what do I like here and I said you want ribs he said yeah but I don't want the I don't want the small ones I want the other ones and I was like well they, it, they have the short ends up on on the menu because if anybody's seen a full slab of ribs right they taper at one end that's the short end and he said I want I want more ribs I don't, I'm like you want a full slab he said, no I just want I want half but I don't want I don't want the ones that that gets smaller. I was like, "All right, I I'll, I'll, I'll got you covered." So we walk yeah, in there, and you know it's what it's like, like the man. The technical
1: like, expertise with which Blow is describing yeah, these ribs yeah. is He's, off the chart. He
0: is our caveman. Um, <laughs> and you know, like the pressure you feel when you walk into the gates, and like they're very nice. They say, "May I help you?" But really, they're like, "Order now,
1: or get out, or get out," because right? right? somebody else is coming in who's willing to pay right seventy-five <laughs> for that trip. <tray. laughs> yeah.
0: And so I said to the woman when she said, "May I help you?" And I said, "Yes, absolutely you can." Uh, we we like ribs. We want a half slab of ribs, uh, but we don't want the short end. We we want we want more ribs. What's what's the other end from the short end? She just stares at me. Like gives it a good three count. Just says, the long end. <laughs> like we'd like two of those. Two long ends, please. And you know I didn't even feel bad. I've gone to gates a million times as a child, as an adult. I've never, I've never seen long ends on the board. You, now, it might be, but I have, feel so much pressure when I walk in there. Like, you can't look at the board for more than 10 seconds before they make you order. I whiff, man. Long end. I should have known that.
1: It's, it's the soup Nazi. You're sweating. <laughs> it's, oh, it's th- a lot of pressure. The pressure is Even unbelievable. when you feel at
0: home there, it is pressure. And you don't feel great about it when you're ordering. But the food is terrific. So. <laughs> on to Stump J.D., this is very niche, uh, which I am very happy about. This will be impressive if you can get it. Uh, last night, uh, which would have been uh, Monday night, the reigning National League MVP, Christian Yelich, had a three-homer game, which I think is only the second three-homer game of the season. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt had a three-homer game, interestingly enough, against the Brewers. But three-homer games are hard to have, right? Like Nelson Cruz, with which will always defy me, has never had a three-homer game. It's hard to do. It's hard to do. That's the point, right? Even for a guy like Nelly.
1: Although, on this past road trip, I had the great fortune of spending a weekend palling around with Mike Cameron, who had a a four-homer game. game.
0: Yeah, And remembers it like it's yesterday. Yes, exactly. That was one of the great moments in Mariners history. Uh, So I was curious last night when I saw Yelich hit three dingers in one game. I thought, who's had the most three-homer games in Major League history? And I'll tell you the answer, partly. There have been two players who six times in their career, Jerry, have hit three homers in a game. Who are Can you tell me who these two individuals are?
1: I'm going to say Mike Schmidt.
0: That's incorrect.
1: That's incorrect. Where's Mike Schmidt on this list? Oh, come
0: on. He's not. He didn't do it five times. The Babe. No. No? No. I'm just throwing up. Here. One's a Hall of Famer. Mickey Mantle. No. <sighs> this is very niche and very hard. Clearly. By the way, uh, while I give you some time to think, when I was looking up, I just kind of started cherry-picking Hall of Famers or Notables. So, Harmon Killebrew had one three-homer game. All right, Mickey Mantle, one three-homer game. Really? Hank Aaron, one three-homer game. Now, Griffey, two. Tomei, two. Reggie Jackson, two. Mookie Betts has had four already. Really? How about that? Different, Different era. era. He's, that's yeah, he's had, no, that's very true. He's had four three-homer games, as has Albert Pujols. Joe Carter's had five three-homer games. A-Rod, five three-homer games. Do you want me just to just tell you?
1: Please. Okay. Uh, the suspense is killing me.
0: Uh, Sammy Sosa, There's six three-homer games. I've been on a couple end, uh, the end of a couple <laughs> of Yeah. Never all three. But... And uh, Johnny Mize, Hall of Famer. The big cat. The He's a big man, wasn't he? Yeah. St. Louis Cardinal. Yeah, absolutely. And,
1: uh, and his time was a giant by comparison to the rest of the players.
0: So there's your answer, Jerry. Um, I knew I'd get you on that one. I'm still making up for a couple of weeks ago. Can,
1: can I tell you, I have to share a Sammy Sosa story. Oh, good. So Sammy Sosa, this is in the mid-90s, and uh, I had... My first couple of years in the national League I'm with the New York Mets uh, and then the last four with the Colorado Rockies and so for half a dozen years Sammy's in Chicago and I faced Sammy frequently played against him in, in winter league before it got to the National League so I'd seen him a fair number of times and let's just say he tormented me it was uh, it, and really from a matchup standpoint as a right hander it should have been an easy one for me, but I was a sinker baller and he was a good low ball hitter uh, even before he became the the mainstream version of Sammy Sosa. And this all began well before, like, the 60-homer version of Sammy. So at at one point, it it was absurd, at one point he's like, I don't know, nine for 11 off me. And and this is no joke.
0: Like nine extra base hits? And
1: we are in a – so I'm with the Mets, and and I I come in and tie game in the 10th inning and – and uh, the first pitch of extra innings, I throw a low fastball for strike one, and it leaves the ballpark, and I'm walking right back into the clubhouse <laughs> on a getaway day, and the game's over. And and uh, and it went extremely far, you know, it, it, it across the street. So we come back. Now I'm with the Rockies. It's a couple of years have gone by, and we are in Chicago for for what was at that time not a r- rare rainout earlier in the season. You're playing a, a standard doubleheader, 20 minutes in between games. Uh, in the first game, I come in. I come in with two runners on in the eighth inning or thereabouts to face Sammy Sosa. Hits a ringing double off of the ivy, and we lose the game. You know, uh, there's and in the second game of the doubleheader, I come in again in game two, and I face Sammy Sosa, and again to the same misery. And you know, now it's it's gotten to the point I think where he's like thirteen for sixteen off me, and we go back to the hotel, and he happened to be. Uh, coming into the hotel to, to pick up one of my teammates to take him to dinner. And, and I walked into the, to the the hotel lobby, and he's standing there, and I, and, I, and I just gave him the forearm shiver to the chest, and I said, leave me alone, man. <laughs> and, and, and his response was all-time classic. He looks at me and goes, he said, I don't know what it is about you. You throw the ball. And it looks big to me. <laughs> I said, "You're not helping my confidence." That uh, it's Sammy Sosa of all the players that I faced in my big league career might have had more success and done more damage than any player I ever faced. It was.
0: It sounds like though you were able to laugh when he said that.
1: I can laugh about it now. Not so much then. At that time, I think I may have cried and. and Curled into a... No,
0: Jerry, the num- I mean, I'm looking at the numbers. The numbers aren't great. I mean, he's 7 for 14 against you. I, I feel like it's much worse. With a than double that. and a homer. I mean, yeah, nah. six ribbies. You walked him once. You struck him out once. I mean, he was batting 500 against you. There, uh, I can say this. No hitter you ever faced had more hits off of you than Sammy Sosa.
1: There's Maybe that's why. It just feels like there were so emotional exactly. scars. But it wasn't like he yeah. hit
0: three or four home runs off. Yeah. Well,
1: as a reliever, there was only so many. That's, I- true.
0: I- that's true. Yeah. Okay, it was terrible, uh, but that is a good story. For
1: me. <laughs> let's be fair, I did, I did when we were, we had Junior was in the spring training in 2012. His, his Hall of Fame year or 2016, his Hall okay. of Fame year, and uh, Joe Borringer, our, our now assistant general manager, at one of our AGMs, said to me at the time, he goes, "Hey, how'd you fare against Griffey?" I said, "You know, I don't think it was too bad." And I said, I, "I don't really remember anything damaging," and and Joe looks it up. It's like a 1600 OPS against. <laughs> so I said, "Yeah." <laughs>
0: Well, it felt worse with Sosa, at least. Uh, Well, uh, this is almost the end of the homestand for the Mariners. They'll hit the road for the Angels and the Padres. The Mariners come home from the road trip Friday, April 26th. Uh, The next day will be Mitch Haniger 5-Tool bobblehead night. And, of course, the Cubs come to town at the end of the month, April 30th. And May the 1st. So, some good interleague play against uh, Joe Madden's Cubbies. Jerry, as always, this has been a blast. Uh, thanks for uh, telling us about Sammy Sosa. Sorry about that. And uh, you'll get JD, some JD next time, I promise. We'll make
1: it easier. I'm going to jump and go to the box and just start practicing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thanks, man.